morning. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we pray that as we open your word this morning, that you would free us from the dullness that can come from routine. We, every week, open our word to read it together and to hear it preached. And we, we confess before you that routine can dull our senses to the wonder of what we're about to do. We would ask, Lord, that you would, you would free us from that and that we would truly grasp the, the gravity of, of what's before us, that we hold in our hands a record of your voice to us, bringing us good news of Jesus Christ. We would receive it with glad hearts. Your Holy Spirit would would open our minds to understand it, our hearts to love it, and that we would be moved to deeper affection for Him as we come to a, a, a greater understanding of, of who Jesus is, why He came, and what it means to follow Him. We pray for Your help in these things. We pray for it with great boldness because of what Jesus has done for us. Amen. Please open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, the Gospel of Mark chapter 1. This morning we'll be considering verse 1 through verse 15. So as you you're finding your place there, if you would please stand with me and we'll we'll read all 15 of these verses to begin our time together. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I've baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit descending on Him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, 
You are my beloved Son. With You I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove Him out into the wilderness. And He was in the wilderness forty days being tempted by Satan. And He was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to Him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the Gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the Kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. You may be seated. I hear voices all the time. It seems like they, they start the moment, the moment I wake up in the morning. I'm hearing them all day, throughout the day, in, in, into the evening. Sometimes even I'm hearing them in the middle of the night. And that may concern you, but you hear them too. We're, we're all hearing voices all the time. I'm not talking about uh, imaginary friends here. I'm talking about literal voices. Literal voices of the people around us and our replaying those voices in our own thoughts. Because people around us, they're talking all day. They're bringing news, bringing information, and we tend to mull those things over throughout the day and and in the night. And some voices, maybe maybe most voices, we ignore altogether. But others, we pay quite close attention to. It just depends on how authoritative we hold those voices to be. And some we hold to be so authoritative and the news so significant that their news, in a sense, becomes our own. And we, we ponder it and we spread that news. We pass it along. Now, the Gospel of Mark brings a host of voices to us all testifying to the same news, the greatest news of all time, the good news of Jesus Christ. And Mark, from, from his own voice in one one to the vo- voice of the Roman centurion in 1539, all these voices are bringing the same message. They want to bring us to a deeper understanding of who Jesus is, why He came, and what it means to follow Him. And if we, if we listen intently to those voices and regard them as truly authoritative, we'll, we'll not only believe what they say, but we'll lend our voices to their chorus and we'll bring the good news of Jesus to others. Now Mark begins this Gospel by bringing the most authoritative voices in the whole book. He, he brings them all and concentrates them right here in the first chapter. Most authoritative voices of all of them are right here in chapter 1. And they prompt us to consider what are the, the voices to which we listen most intently. That's what we're thinking about this morning as we walk through this chapter. Now the first voice that we find is the voice of Mark. It's his own voice, the voice of Mark. Look at 1.1 again. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So we, we find this this word here, gospel, the Greek word for gospel is euangelion, and it, it more literally means good news. Mark, Mark tells us here that the good news is of Jesus Christ, or it's about Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus 
is the good news. And what we're going to find as we, as we study this, this book together is that Jesus is not a, an end to a means. I'm, he's not a means to an end outside of Himself. In other words, these voices in, in, in Mark are not going to be telling us, hey, good news, you get to go to heaven. And Jesus is the means to get you there. But rather, they're going to tell us Jesus is the means and the end. The good news is that Jesus is here and He gives you Jesus. Now, what exactly that means, they'll help us to, to see as, as we progress. And, and, and they'll do that by explaining to us who Jesus is and why He came and what it means to follow Him. And again, the first, the first voice we hear is Mark's own. And what is it that he wants us to know here in, in verse 1? What is his message? Well, his message is good news. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So that no ambiguity here in verse 1. He cuts right to the chase. Jesus is the Christ. What, what that means is that Jesus is the promised chosen one. He's the promised chosen one. Jesus is not just another mere prophet that God is sending. He's not just another mere, mere priest. He's not just another mere king. He's not just another judge like we had back in the book of Judges. But this is the Messiah. This is, this is the fulfillment of all God's promises. And more significantly... This is not even just a man, but, but this is a God-man. He's the Son of God. And you know, leave, leave the theology out for a second, the significance of what the Son of God will do. Leave that, leave that out for a second. The way we lose our minds over celebrities, I mean, that alone should move us to wonder at this. The, the, some, some of us lose it over Taylor Swift coming to town. This is the Son of God who's come. I mean, this is good news, even if you don't know what He's here to do. This is something you should tell people about. The Son of God has come. Now, to do what is the question? What, what does He do? Well, we find that as we, as we progress here. And the, the second voice begins to fill in some blanks for us. And the, the, that's the voice of the prophets. The collective voice of the prophets. The voice of the prophets. And look at verse 2 with me again. As it is written in Isaiah, the prophet... Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now, why are we saying the voice of the prophets and not just the prophet Isaiah because he only mentions Isaiah here? Well, this quotation here is actually from Isaiah and Malachi. More broadly, this is the message of all the prophets. All of them testify to this coming one who is going to do what this, this Lord does. Okay, But we want to think about what these specific quotations from these two prophets are telling us. Now, who is speaking here in this quotation? And to whom is this person speaking? Well, it's God the Father speaking, and He's speaking to the Son. He's saying to the Son, I send my messenger before your face to prepare your way. There's going to be a forerunner that comes before the sun comes. And, and how is the forerunner going to prepare the way for, for the sun? Well, he tells us here he's going, to, he's going to prepare the way by crying out, hey, prepare the way. He's going to tell that to other people. The Lord is coming. Prepare the way. If you look at verse 3, both of the commands there, prepare and make, are second person plural. Imperatives, the plural imperatives. And that's why the Texas Standard Version has, y'all prepare the way. Y'all make his path straight. 
So this, this forerunner, he's talking to multiple people, and his message to them is, y'all get ready. Now there's a particular way that they're supposed to get ready, and we'll find that here in a minute. But Mark's given us here the voice of the collective voice of the prophets. What is their message? Their message is good news. A messenger is coming to prepare the Lord's way. To prepare the Lord's way. In other words, the Lord is coming and there's one coming to prepare you to prepare the way for Him. To prepare you to get ready for the coming of of the Lord. Now why is it good news that the Lord's coming? Well, that leads us directly to the voice of John. That's the next voice in the text. The voice of John. John is that voice crying in the wilderness. We pick up in verse 4. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, Strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I've baptized you with water, but He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So, so John is that voice that the prophets were talking about. He's that voice in the wilderness preparing the way of the Lord. Now verse 6, just very briefly, verse 6 is identical, nearly identical to a description of Elijah in 2 Kings 1.8. 2 Kings 1.8. I won't say much about that right now. But Mark is, is preparing us here in chapter 1 to make a connection between John and Elijah later on. So just file that away. Okay. But how does John prepare the way? How does John p- prepare the way? I'll g- give you two things. Or the text gives us two things. The first is that he calls our attention to our need for forgiveness and the need to repent in light of that need for forgiveness. He calls us to, to, to see our need for forgiveness and to repent in light of that need for forgiveness, okay? Now, the, the Jews that he's talking to, they're, they're well aware, aware of their sins. It's been on their minds for, for centuries, all, all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, where Adam rebelled against God and, and his sins separated him from God. Of course, the Jews, they're well familiar with the fact that that, that situation, that, that horrible scene, that was not confined just to Adam, but, but, but Adam passed that on to, to everyone who came after him. He passed that sinful heart and its penalty on to all who came after him. And so the history of Israel is, is one of a nation helpless to turn from their sin and continuously earning the wrath of God. And what we know from, from reading the rest of the Bible and what we'll find out in, in Mark is that their, their history, the history of Israel, is illustrative of all people, including 21st century Americans. We all sin. Everybody in this room, we all rebel. We all desire to go our own way, to, 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 to serve our own little kingdom. And so we're all liable to punishment. We're all liable to an eternity under the wrath of God in hell. And the only hope for us to escape that is to be forgiven for that sin. Now, it doesn't, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to, at this point to see that this forgiveness is somehow going to be brought by this coming Son of God. 
And John prepares the way for our reception of that forgiveness by preaching repentance. The voice of, 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 of one in the wilderness in Isaiah 43 says, Y'all prepare the way of the Lord. And the way that one prepares for the coming of the Lord or, or to receive the Lord is by repenting. What does it mean to repent? To repent is, is to turn from one's sin. In, in a sense, repentance is, is laying down one thing in order to take up another. I'm, I'm laying down my own sinful trajectory, my way, my kingdom, in order to take up His way, His kingdom, to follow Him. And John's baptism, similar to the baptism that, that, we, that we observe, was not effectual in itself, but rather it was just a public testimony. All of these people in Judea and Jerusalem who were coming and being baptized by John, there was nothing magical about that baptism. It was simply these people testifying publicly and saying, I'm turning away from from my sin. I'm preparing for the forgiveness of sins that's coming with the Christ. That's the first way that John prepares for the coming of the Lord is that he, he brought to people's consciousness their, their need for forgiveness and the need to repent in order to receive that forgiveness. A second way that John prepared for the coming of the Lord was, was by proclaiming this stronger one who's coming. That's how he describes the Lord. It's one stronger than I, mightier than I. Now that, that the one coming, is, is mightier than John. That's actually saying something because Jesus Himself said of John in Luke 7.28, he said this, among those born among women, there is none greater than John. So Jesus said of John, he's the greatest man who ever lived. Think about that for a second. Of all the people that we read about in the, in, in the Bible, including Abraham, Joseph, Moses, David, Daniel, the greatest of all of them is John, this John. And now that John is saying to the people in the wilderness, there's somebody coming after me who's greater than me. And how does he, how does he illustrate that, that relative greatness of this, of this coming one? Well, he uses, he uses an analogy that, that may not be so meaningful in our culture, but it was very meaningful in, in the culture to which he is speaking. To untie someone's sandals was similar to washing somebody's feet in first century Judea. It was the lowest of tasks because everybody's feet were filthy. The, the lowest servant on the totem pole did that kind of work. And here John, the greatest man who ever lived, according to Jesus, he says, I'm not worthy to stoop down and touch his sandals. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the sandals of this one who is coming. That's how, that's how great He is. I've baptized you with water, John says. I, I, I've brought you a message of repentance. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He, he's bringing something qualitatively different than anything we've seen before. This, this immeasurably greater one is bringing life. He's bringing life. I've prepared you to come out of death by, by, by preaching this message of repentance. He's actually bringing life. That is good news. And so we have the voice of John here 
What is his message? His message is good news. A stronger one is coming, so repent. A stronger one is coming, so repent. And then, of course, as we progress through the text, we come to the voices of Spirit and Father. The voices of Spirit and Father. Verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. So now we have the appearance of this stronger one, the one of whom Mark And the prophets and John, they've all testified already in this text. He comes, he's baptized by John in the Jordan, and as he's coming up out of the water, he sees the heaven torn in two. And the verb for torn in two, it's the same verb. In fact, the only other place that Mark uses this verb is in 1538 for the tearing of the veil in two. The heavens are torn, just like the veil is torn, and both of these things are Acts of God. They're both indications of drastic changes in the dealings of God with man. We, 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 may, think, we may think of Isaiah 64.1. Isaiah 64.1 which reads, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That, that's what's being depicted here for us at the baptism of Jesus. We're seeing the significance of the incarnation. God has come down as a man. God has been brought to man. And then at the end of the book, in 1538, with the rending of the veil, we're seeing the opposite. Man has been brought to God. This is all of it. Good news. Really good news. Jesus then sees the Spirit coming upon Him. Sees the Spirit coming upon Him. And our, our minds, again, might go to Isaiah, Isaiah 61.1. Isaiah 61.1 reads, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. As we think about the Holy Spirit and the things that He does in the Old Testament, this idea of the Holy Spirit coming upon a person indicates the Holy Spirit empowering that person for the mission that God has given him. And so the Holy Spirit coming upon Jesus indicates that Jesus is, is a Holy Spirit anointed, Holy Spirit empowered servant of God who has come to, to do the redemptive work of the Father. And it's the Father whom, whom Jesus... Then here's from, the Father then says from heaven, you are my beloved Son. In you I am well pleased. And that's a quotation from Isaiah 42.1 and Psalm 2.7. Isaiah 42.1 and Psalm 2.7. And so what we have here is the united voice of Spirit and Father proclaiming their message. And their message is, good news, the Spirit-anointed Son is here. This is the Spirit-anointed Son. He's the one who is empowered to do all the Father's work of redemption to bring sinners to Himself. Fantastic news. Such good news. And Mark then moves on 
to, to what we might characterize as the voices of angelic majesties. The voices of angelic majesties. Now, I'm borrowing that phrase from Second Peter and Jude, and not even the ESV, the New American Standard, because that's what's in my brain. Angelic majesties, and that's a phrase that, that can refer to angels both holy and fallen, because that's what we see here in these, these verses. Look at verse 12. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was in the wilderness with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now, as we're studying Mount Mark, we, we want to be careful not to make more of a scene than Mark does, especially scenes that, that are also present in the other four Gospels. For example, Matthew has a more extended version of, of Jesus' baptism. And so he emphasizes Jesus' baptism here, um, but Mark doesn't do that. Mark, uh, Matthew also emphasizes, has as much to teach about Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. Mark doesn't. Mark, Mark makes no comment on the process of Jesus' testing in the wilderness. He, he has no discussion about the outcome of Jesus' testing. It's just a matter-of-fact description. Jesus was tried in the wilderness, period. And that He came out on the other side untainted, in, in Mark's mind, that's all we need to know here. Now the witnesses to this, to this trial were the adversary who tempted, it, who, who tempted Him and the angels who ministered to Him. So we, we have... We have favorable witnesses and unfavorable witnesses. They all say the same thing. And their, their eyewitness testimony would say what? How would we regard it? Good news. He has been tried. Good news. He's been tried. Now why would we regard that as good news? That Jesus has been tried? Well, John has already mentioned... Forgiveness of sin, and he's attached Jesus to that. He's attached forgiveness of sins to the coming of Christ. Now Mark eventually, uh, particularly in the last half of, of the book, is going to give us this glorious doctrine of atonement that Jesus came to suffer in our place, to suffer for our sins and to take our death upon himself and to give us life in return. It's Nuts when you think about it. Now, eventually, that's what Mark is, is, is going to teach us. But in order for that to happen, in order for Jesus to suffer on someone else's behalf, he has to have no sins on his, other, on his own account. He, he, his account has to be clean. Otherwise, when he suffered, he would only be able to suffer for his own sins. And so, to be a spotless sacrifice in order to atone for the sins of others, he, he has to be completely clean. So this, this voice of the angelic majesties, the, the brief voice saying, he's been, he's been tested. It is brief, but it is crucial. He has been tried. That is good news. Oh, it's good news. Finally, Mark, Mark brings before us here the voice of Jesus. Jesus. Verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe 
and the gospel. So, this is the second place in Mark where we see that Greek word euangelion. Jesus is proclaiming the good news. And here it's called the good news of God. We might think that's a small distinction, but what, what it tells us is that Jesus is not proclaiming His own message. He's proclaiming the message that's been given to Him by the Father. In other words, it's the Father's voice that Jesus is listening to. That's a prominent theme in John. It's very subtle here, but it's here. Jesus says the time is fulfilled. No more waiting. No more waiting. It's been thousands of years up to this point. Thousands of years that that man has been burdened under the weight of sin. Only ever seeing types and shadows of God's provision for salvation. Just just pictures of the salvation that's coming. Promises and hints. But now... The substance himself is saying, "Time, the time is fulfilled. There's no more waiting." And you think about somebody who's been enslaved their entire life—a slave being promised freedom, promised freedom for years. Maybe they've been promised freedom for decades, promised freedom for an entire lifetime. Or maybe they come from a, a people who've been promised freedom. For a hundred lifetimes. That is what we come from. We come from a long line of sinners. Been promised freedom. Hundreds of lifetimes. And finally Jesus has come to set the captives free. He's come to transfer slaves of sin from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of God. He says the kingdom of God's at hand. It's here. And, and the, the one who frees the slave, he's come to give, to give the sinner dancing instead of sorrow. To give him a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. To give life instead of death. And he does this, Mark is going to show us, by setting his face toward Jerusalem and determining to go to the cross to bear the sins of his people and to be raised from the dead. He dies for them so that he might live for them. This is such good news. And, and here at the very beginning, Jesus, Jesus tells the people that he's listening to how they must respond. And how, what, is, what does he say? How does Jesus command them to respond? Well, first of all, he picks up John's message of repentance and he says, repent, you must, you must turn away from your sin. You've got to lay down your kingdom so that you can take up mine. But then he adds to it, believe the good news. Now, one of, one of the reasons that Mark is such a, such a great book to read with an unbeliever is that Jesus doesn't explain, or at least Mark doesn't record him explaining the full good news here. So an unbeliever that you're reading Mark with is going to get to verse 15 and think, okay, believe the good news. So what's the good news? And the rest of the gospel, all of these voices that Mark brings together, they answer that question slowly over the course of, of the gospel. And as you're reading it with them, you can help them. You can help them piece together that answer. Believe the good news. Believe what Mark says about Jesus. Now, belief for Mark, we'll find, is, is not simply agreeing with facts. We're not just looking at a historical event and saying, yeah, I agreed that happened. 
And Mark is going to show us that belief also isn't even just trusting Jesus to cover our sins. But rather, it is embracing Jesus so fully and trusting Him so comprehensively that we follow Him. That we turn our life over to Him. We, we, we hand Him who we are. As Jesus is going to say later, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Me. To really believe the Gospel is to do that, Mark is going to show us. So, here's the voice of Jesus, and what is His message? His message is, good news. The kingdom has come. Repent and believe. Now, there may be, there may be some among us here this morning who have, who have never heard that before. And, and for that reason, they've never repented and believed. They've never turned from their sin and turned their life over to Jesus in belief, followed Him, trusting Him completely with who they are, and, and trusting that, that Jesus and his, his life, His death, His resurrection, His righteousness will be their plea before the judge on the last day. If you haven't, please talk to one of us before you leave here. In, in, any of the elders would, would love to talk to you, and there are people around, all around you who would, who would love to talk to you as well. But, but get those questions answered today because this is the most important thing you'll ever consider. Now, before we, before we finish this morning, there's a couple of more voices that, that we want to, to think about. A couple more voices to think about. First is the voices that I'm listening to. What are the voices that I'm listening to? What are the voices that you're listening to? Mark has presented these voices here as preeminently authoritative. So we should ask ourselves, are these voices the ones to which we are listening most intently? As, as we considered in the beginning this morning, we, we all hear voices all the time, and they're all bringing news all the time. Some voices in our lives are bringing this good news, right? I mean, I mean m- many of you are here every Sunday, and you, so you're hearing the good news every Sunday morning. And, and many are coming to Bible studies and hearing the good news and you're reading, reading the Word and hearing the good news then. You're reading Christian books and you're hearing the good news. You, maybe you're listening to Christian radio. You're hearing good news, good news, good news. But there are other voices around us all the time bringing different news. And I'm just going to call that non-good news. Non-good news. And, and that could be just temporal good news. Like, I, I got a raise. That's good news. It makes me happy. There's nothing wrong with it. But it's, it's not the good news of Jesus Christ. Other non-good news could be bad news, temporal bad news. It could be just a, a voice that is, is in my ear giving me a pessimistic view of the world or a, a voice that is giving me some kind of propaganda or, or a voice that is, is bringing to my attention some news of legit sorrow that, that should not be dismissed out of hand question that, that we, we want to consider right now is that of, of all of those voices, which voice do we listen to, listen to most intently? And therefore, which message is most influential over our daily lives? Because it, it, it's possible to hear non-good news 
all day long. But if the voice that we're listening to most intently is the voice of the good news of Jesus Christ, the voice that we're listening to most intently is the Lord's, then, then we're going to be able to interpret even bad news through the lens of that good news of Jesus Christ. But the opposite is also true. Because it's possible to, to hear and even espouse the good news of Jesus Christ, but if the voices that we're listening to most intently are some kind of non-good news, which, which could be true, it could be untrue, but that non-good news will then be the the lens through which we see everything. So this is a very important question. Which voice or voices are we listening to most intently to the extent that Jesus' voice is preeminent and His good news is preeminent? Then the good news will frame how we receive everything else that we see and hear, including our own pain and circumstances. Now, some of us may be, may be recognizing right now, well, the Lord, the Lord isn't the most prominent voice in my life right now. I'm in a season right now where He isn't, he isn't the most prominent voice, and I know that because the good news is, is not the most prominent message in my life. It doesn't govern the way I see the world. There's a different lens through which I'm seeing the world. Maybe this temporal concern, maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's through the lens of my own experience or, or suffering pains, etc., something like that. So if, if we recognize that we aren't listening most intently to the Lord, but we want to, how, how do we make that change? Well, I, I would recommend to you the psalmist's method in Psalm 1. If you would... Turn with me to Psalm 1. Psalm chapter 1. This, this speaks directly to the issue of listening to one voice over others, and it offers a very practical way of doing so. Just, just the first couple of verses. And there are brothers and sisters throughout this congregation who have who have taken these verses very seriously, very literally, and are, are living these things. Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Now let's pause right there. This is just the psalmist's way of saying, blessed is the man who doesn't make a lifestyle of listening most prominently or, or most intently to aberrant voices. But the blessed man listens most intently to whom? Verse, verse 2 begins to tell us. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. In other words, he listens most intently to, to God's voice, to the voice of the Lord in the Word of God. And so we might wonder, well, practically speaking, how does he do that? Well, he tells us that next. He says, on his law, he meditates day and night. He meditates on the Lord's word day and night. Listens to the Lord's voice that way. Not just during the day, but he, he does it at night. And we have brothers and sisters, as I mentioned, among us who, who do this. And 
I, I want to share with you my own testimony in this regard. I think it may be helpful to you. I can give you the names of other people if you're interested who could give you, give you their testimony. But I, I, I share it with you because I think it might be helpful to you and, and hopefully encouraging to you. But I, I, a while back, began to take this psalm very, very literally and in order to meditate on the Lord's voice day and night, I began to memorize chunks of, of Scripture so that I could listen to Him in the Word anywhere, anytime. And having, having memorized some Scripture and, and then continuing to do that over, over the years, it has become a habit of my life that when I, when I wake up in the morning, I try not to allow myself to think first of all that I have to do that day or of all the problems in the way. I've got plenty to do and I've got plenty of problems, but, but I don't let my mind start there, but rather I start with the Lord's, the Lord's voice. And I, I don't grab a phone to do that. I don't need to grab my Bible. And I don't grab my phone to check, to check the news or to listen to a podcast or anything else, but rather... It's just straight to the Lord's voice, even while I'm still laying in bed. And so I'm, I'm thinking through a, a psalm or a, a, a New Testament passage. And most days I'm, I'm meditating on and praying through Scripture the whole time I'm getting ready. Before I ever hear the first audible voice of the day, which is almost always my wife's. Be, before I ever read anything or, or listen to anything. And, and I try to use my time in the car for this. Occasionally, I'll listen to the radio, and there's nothing wrong with doing that, but, but I find that my time in the car is, is, is very useful to this because I've got nothing else demanding my time then. And so I'll turn to a, a, a place in the Scriptures and listen to the Lord's voice there. This happens, happens throughout the day. It also happens after my wife has gone to sleep at night. I stopped, I stopped sleeping well, soundly, Years ago, I, I wake up constantly, and, and at first I regarded that as a curse. The Lord has turned it into a blessing for this reason, because rather than allowing my, run, my mind to run to all kinds of problems in the night, I try diligently to call His voice to mind through these, these scriptures that, that I've memorized over the years. And so I'll, I'll choose a psalm for the night, or sometimes it's just one verse of a psalm for the night. For example, the other night... It's Friday night, it was Psalm 23.1. Just, just one verse, and, and it wasn't the whole verse, it was just the first four words. And I probably woke up 20 times in the night, and every time, every time I woke up, I, I thought through, Yahweh is my shepherd. That's what, what that means, each word of, that, of those four words. What does that mean? What doesn't that mean? Yahweh is my shepherd. Now, by, by the time I woke up in the morning, what do you think my mindset was for the day? It was the, next, it was the next words in that psalm. I shall not want. I mean, the, the, in no circumstances, no bad news could convince me otherwise. Now, you don't have to be an insomniac to do this. I mean, you could do it during the day. And if, if you chew something in the, in the morning and you're chewing on it throughout the day, then by, by the time you get tonight, then then the same thing can happen. But it, it fuels itself over time if it's a habit of life. And His voice can be the one that you listen to most intently. 
Now, the, the next verse in Psalm 1 tells us that he will be like a tree planted by streams of water. He'll be like a tree planted by streams of water. The, those folks who do this kind of thing, they'll testify to you that this is true. And I can tell you this is true. To, to the extent that I listen to the Lord's voice most intently, my mind and my heart stay nourished in His voice. My body may be decaying, but my mind, my heart, they stay nourished. And His, His good news, it governs my thinking. So that when I, when I look at the world and look at my life, I see it through the lens of the good news. It's not that there's no bad news. I hear bad news all the time. And that, that may be unpleasant circumstances. It may be the loss of a loved one. It could be a bad health report. Whatever it is, there is always a but that comes after that bad news. Bad news, but good news. His, his good news frames the way I receive everything. Now, look again at, at, at Psalm 1, the very beginning. It says, blessed is the man who does this. Blessed is the man. And blessed means happy. Happy is the man who meditates on the Word of the Lord day and night. So I wonder if any of us find ourselves angry all the time or downcast all the time. Anxious all the time? It's possible, if that's the case, it's possible that there is another voice or voices to which we are listening to more intently than the Lord's. So again, just think through, what is the most prominent voice in your life? I'd encourage you to write that down. If it's not the Lord, it can be. He would set you free from these other voices, a bondage to these other voices. One more voice to consider. One more voice to consider is the voice that I'm using. The voice that I'm using. And the voice that I'm using, that, 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 that would include what, what my audible voice is saying, what my thoughts are saying, and what my actions are saying. All of that, all of that is the voice that I'm using. My message, my my words, my thoughts, my lifestyle, all of that is indicative of the, of the news to which I've most closely aligned my life. And so, now let's, let's think through, through that question, okay? What is the news of, of our lives, each one of us? What's the news of, of my life? The, the people who follow me on social media, what would they say is my message? My, my thing. People who hang out with me, what would they say is, is my message? What do I tend to talk about? What, what, what does, what does my, my life, my speech tend to lead other people to think about? It's likely not just one thing, but, but the question is, what's the most prominent thing? Is it, is it the things of the Lord, good news? Or does my speech, my life, my countenance speak of, of non-good news of, of some kind? It seems that in America today, that, that in, in many places, the, the predominant message of some professing believers is the, the bad news of the culture. Many, many believers, professing believers today, have, 
have associated themselves with, with a, a message other than the good news. They're heralds of, of the bad news of the culture, or they have made themselves heralds of the bad news of their own circumstances, or the bad news of, of a, a painful past, which has kind of become their identity, or, or a, a, a horrible present. And so rather than, rather than joyful, winsome preachers of, of the good news of life in Christ, some could be more accurately described as angry, downcast, anxious preachers of the bad news of, of earthly things. Bad news, they're, they're proclaiming. And if the people listening to us associate us with, with that bad news, the tragic thing is that it's not even the right bad news. You know what I mean by that? It's not even the right bad news. When, when, when the people around us hear, hear us proclaiming that bad news, they are confirmed in their own fallen belief that temporal ups and downs are the real bad news. And tragically, the Christians they're hearing it from, many of them, they're so caught up in that bad news, they're more downcast than the lost people around them who are dead in their trespasses and sins. Because they're preaching the wrong bad news. See, there, there, there is bad news, but we, we should be preaching the right bad news. The, the, the only bad news that should be a hallmark, a hallmark of the speech of a believer is, is the bad news that precedes the good news of Jesus Christ. And that bad news is, is as you know, that, that all men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They separated themselves from Christ by their sin, and they're doomed to hell. Now that is bad news. I mean, you want to associate yourself with the message. That's bad news. That, that, that bad news, that reaches beyond my current trial. That, that bad news lasts forever. It never dies. It plagues you beyond the grave. Spread that bad news. And always, always, always follow it. Follow it by echoing these voices, these glorious voices here in Mark 1, and the news that they bring. This good news, good news. There is bad news, but there's good news. God the Son Himself, He's come to bring forgiveness to sinners. Repent and believe this good news. Follow Jesus Christ and live. Again, it comes back to who we're listening to most intently. If, if we're listening most intently to temporal voices around us preaching bad news, well, that would explain why we also are preaching that same bad news. Voices everywhere, voices are everywhere, all the time. We're hearing them all the time. The most authoritative voices for the believer right here in the Word, and they're proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. The questions for us to consider this morning as we close is, are, ha- have we believed them? Have we believed these voices? Second, are these voices, the voices to which we listen most intently, and have we joined our voices to that chorus? Oh, may it be so. May it be so. As we, as we close here, likely each time we, we look at a passage in Mark, we'll think through 
those big questions of, of Mark. Who is Jesus? Why did He come? What does it mean to follow Him? Who is Jesus? What have we seen here? He's the Son of God. Why did He come? He came to bring forgiveness of sin to all who repent and believe the good news. What does it mean to follow Him? Listen to His voice. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your great power and love that you've extended them both to us in the form of this good news. We thank you that that all of these things are true, that, that Jesus has come. He has come to set us free from our sin. He's come to bring forgiveness for those who repent and believe the good news. We pray, Lord, for those who are present here this morning who may have, who have, may have never responded to the gospel, may have never heard the good news. If they have, they haven't trusted in Jesus. They've not turned from their sin. We pray for them right now, Lord, that you would help them to, to feel the weight of their sin and the truth that they are doomed. They're doomed eternally because of that sin. Father, please move them to repent, to turn away from their own kingdom, their own sin, and turn toward Christ, surrendering all that they are to Him in faith, trusting in His life, His death, His resurrection to reconcile them to You. And We pray, Father, that from this day forward, your voice would be the most prominent in their ear and that they would lend their voice to this chorus. We pray that for for the rest of us as well, that, that it would be more and more the case all the time, Father, that we listen most intently to you, to, to these voices testifying to the good news of Jesus Christ and that our voices would be dedicated to that message, good news. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.